Hello and welcome to the Kicksass Podcast. I'm your host, John O'Landon, and in this podcast, we share excerpts from live in-person SaaS growth events that I run here in my hometown of Toronto, Canada. A little about me, I'm the founder and CEO of Hubly, a B2B SaaS company that helps private schools find new families to enroll and engage them throughout the entire enrollment journey. This episode is a recording from a recent panel discussion that I hosted and moderated at the Hubly head office here in Toronto on the topic of SaaS sales and scaling. The panel included four members of Toronto's top SaaS sales leaders. First, we had Cheryl Farron, who's a sales director at Zensurance. Also, we had Bram Belsberg, CEO of Kev Group, also a recent recipient of Canada's Top 40 Under 40 Award. Jordan Grant is the head of business development at Zaffin. We also had Nick Cosman, the founder of salesprocess.io. This panel discussion offers many great takeaways for anyone who is involved in scaling a SaaS sales organization. So we're going to jump right into this episode, and I hope you enjoy the format and content we go through here. And I look forward to sharing future episodes with you from these live SaaS growth workshops. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Margie. So, uh, yeah. So my name is Jono, and uh, I've been working in uh, internet uh, in the internet world since the early 2000s. Uh, I started out <clears throat> in, a, in a sales role and um, just kind of moved into sales management and then marketing, marketing management, and then I kind of got into product management and did that for about five years and uh, and then. Uh, recently with, uh, so I launched Hubly about uh, five years ago, where I've kind of been doing everything. And uh, thankfully, in the last uh, year and a half, uh, I've been able to really focus again, um, almost exclusively on sales and growth. So uh, I've been really excited to be connecting uh, with, uh, you know, people that are focused on on sales growth. And, you know, we kind of hear what we do is we kind of see it as like, you know, uh, sort of ranging the spectrum from marketing, lead generation, all the way through customer success, kind of all the different drivers of uh, of growth, and um, and uh, so so that's that's why we started the uh, this group, and uh, and it's uh, it's exciting to have uh, uh, such an amazing panel here tonight. So I want to personally thank everybody for coming. Um, it's a real honor to have you all here. And also, I want to thank everybody for joining us, and especially on a, on a kind of cold, rainy day like today. So, so thank you. And I'll pass it on to uh, Cheryl. Let her introduce herself. Hi, everyone. My name is Cheryl. Um, I've been in sales my whole career. And sales, including started with inside sales, outside sales. I've moved up through leadership positions. And to me, sales is like mastering a craft. It's about learning every single day on how what works, what doesn't work, and how do you make it better and easier for your customer and for your team. And so for me, it's been a lot of years of evolving and really trying to figure out how do I do this better and how do I do it better for my customers. So I'm with Zensurance today. I've worked for a number of startup software companies and technology companies from big and small. And really, what I love to do is to take a company from here and build it up to here. When I started at Zen, I had three salespeople on my team. Today, my team is 30. 
So it takes a lot to be able to build a team, make it cohesive, bring everyone together, figure out a magic solution, and help that to scale. So I'm hoping I can share some of those thoughts with you today. Can I do it without the mic? <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm Bram Bellsberg. I'm the uh, CEO of Kev Group. Um, for those of you who don't know, Kev Group is a provider of um, accounting and online payment software, almost exclusively to public schools across the United States and Canada. More specifically, we have an accounting product, and then um, the ability for parents to pay for all their kids' school fees. And we operate in just over 18,000 schools across North America now. Um, I've been with the business for 10 years. Um, it was founded by two amazing uh, ladies, Kim and Ev, who are still with the business, actually. And they founded the business when they worked at the school district. And they left the school district to try to solve a problem that they had identified at their own home base. And they created a solution and realized it might have had some legs and eventually left the job and created a little company out of it. And uh, maybe 12 or 13 years later, I got introduced to them uh, after business school. and. I joined up as the COO and then the CEO six months later, and um, I've been there for now 10 years, and we've been growing at a pretty fast pace since. Um, one of the things that's interesting about Kev for this particular discussion is where we are in our growth life cycle. So um, you've done a lot of product innovation, we've done a lot of pricing innovation, a lot of positioning innovation over the years. Um, we were first in our market selling online payments in Canada. So we had to come up with the whole pricing model that would work, and we did that through just trial and error many, many times over, and we went through that. And um, even today, we're innovating on our model and our pricing again. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that a year ago, plus two days now, we closed our first ever major outside investment from a growth equity firm out of California called Serent Capital. and. Um, we then made an acquisition a month later of our largest competitor in North Carolina. And along with that, we decided to go from what was basically a two or three person sales team um, where every individual just sold and there was no sales leadership or management of any kind. It was just one of them was the founder, Kim, who was still selling and then you know, two other relatively junior people to building a proper sales organization. So we went out and hired someone Cheryl's pedigree, someone who's a, a head of sales and marketing, who's pretty amazing. Um, and then we have since, in the last year, gone from where we are now to 15 full-time sales staff, including account execs, BDR, marketing, uh, you know, across the board. So we're, we're just assembling that team. And so I've recently gone through, um, again, how do you set territories? How do you set pricing? How do you set metrics? How do you set quotas and all that? Um, so I've been uh, schooled quite a bit recently in that, so I can run to that. Welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Jordan Grant. Um, today, uh, I'm two weeks on the job, head of uh, business development at Zaffin. Uh, we're a Toronto growth company. Uh, we've been around for about 15 years. Uh, recently sold part of our business, about 500 folks, to Accenture. Uh, that was a multi-million dollar deal. Uh, that happened in January. So we're about 230 folks today uh, and uh, regrowing the team, uh, if you will, uh, the, the, the part of the business that we kept. Um, prior to that, in my uh, previous life, uh, I worked at uh, two startups. Uh, the most recent one was Flybits as sales director. 
uh, selling into all the world's largest banks across America. And prior to that, I started my own beacon company. And if you know beacons, they never really took off, but uh, uh, we made a couple bucks at it, did some really cool projects. Uh, we built a team up to about 15 people. Um, I think that was probably the most uh, uh, groundbreaking part of my career, um, helping a lot of new to Canada uh, people uh, actually establish uh, their, their life here in Canada. Some of them have moved on back to Mexico or, or Netherlands and other places. Um, so that was kind of the best part of my career, even though it was not the funnest of times and most profit-making. Um, so I, I was brought into Zaffin to rebuild the business development team. We have about 35 uh, global clients today that range from ING, Standard Chartered, Bank of America, the world's largest banks. Uh, but we don't really have a, uh, a lot of uh, potential companies or prospects in the pipeline. So um, building out the team there, I'm hiring if anyone's looking. And uh, yeah, so um, I'm excited to have this discussion. I, I personally have a, a spectrum from enterprise all the way through small, medium, and a growth size uh, startup. So really excited to chat. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, my name is Nick Cosman. Uh, I founded Sales Process IO. We are uh, we basically help startups scale. Um, I've been doing this for about eight years, and uh, two years ago I came up with a new consulting offer and put my process down on paper. Since two years ago, we sold it to uh, almost seven hundred companies. Right, Justin's on my team. Actually, we have a few customers here. Actually, uh, bootstrapped it to five million dollars in less than a year and a half, um, and we're, we're operating at five million with only six people. So really lean, mean, um, the customers are doing really well, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, so I know how to start offers from scratch and uh, get them going without fundraising. Uh, some of our customers fundraise, but we do it like we can do it bootstrapped, and it's a, it's a totally different game, I, th I think. So uh, yeah, we kind of carved out a niche there, and we're helping entrepreneurs uh, in that in that way, so uh, most of our customers are SaaS companies, some high tech of ser uh, service. We focus on product market fit in the beginning, lead generation, and then selling and closing. Um, yeah, so so far so good. So if you guys have any questions regarding like how to make millions of dollars, um, <laughs> in, yeah, when you're really young, then uh, do uh, ask away. Yeah, so uh, definitely a good, uh, good question for the Q&A. Um, okay, so I'm going to kick off uh, the, the panel here. And, uh, you know, I think what we'll do is we'll just let, let you guys sort of jump in wherever you think uh, you, you've got something to add. Don't feel pressured to, to answer. Um, but at least one person has to answer on every question, okay? Uh, <clears throat> so uh, the first question is, Armatron. How have you seen um, successful sales strategies change over, let's say, the last five to 10 years? And, um, and what, what were the impacts of those changes on your sales metrics? Who wants to go first? I can answer. OK, please go ahead. Uh, so I haven't seen, like, sales hasn't really changed. It's selling, it's selling, it's selling a problem for somebody and like, providing a product. What has changed is the marketing. Mm -hmm. strategies. So like 10 years ago, 
email marketing was really big, like cold prospecting. Well, fo- uh, cold calling was big. And then e- uh, cold calling like 2.0 with Aaron Ross. I don't know if you guys know him. He wrote the book Predictable Revenue and um, Impossible to Inevitable. He's actually a customer of ours, uh, Aaron, because uh, he wants to learn the digital marketing stuff. So now, instead of doing the cold prospecting and cold calling, a lot of this stuff is, the, a lot of the uh, lead generation comes from like paid advertising using social platforms and content. I've seen that um, change. But sales is this, it's the same thing. Like if you're selling over the phone or door to door, I started door to door, same, same stuff, at least in my opinion. <laughs> On my side, I find I agree, the sales hasn't changed, but I find our tools are different. So today, there's a lot of automation tools you can use to make your team more efficient. So how do I have an email automation tool that does some of those follow-ups themselves where you can handle more volume, get better sales, increase your sales, but take some of the mundane work out of the team? So how do I put technology to play to be able to make that easier for my team and to increase the amount of follow-up, and how do we manage that? And sometimes that is looking at operational efficiency internally, and the sales team loves it because it takes out all of that mundane work where you're focusing on having good conversations at the right time. Yeah, kind of going off that, um, I have this kind of motto that uh, devil's in the detail. And so I've, uh, in my last two roles, I've implemented Trello, um, which is a very interesting tool especially when it comes to business development because it's typically known as a product uh, a solution. Um, so Trello, uh, I break everything down into 10-day sprints. We do a stand-up at the start, uh, a midpoint review, and then an endpoint review. And the goal here is to have everyone call each other out on what can be done in a two-week two period or in a 10-day period. It doesn't have to start on a Monday. And uh, it also gives vis- visibility across uh, the organization to understand what everyone's working on. So it's really about what's, what can you do in that 10 days? That's all I care about. So it's, you're talking 10-day sprints for sales teams. Yeah, that's cool. We do a week, like weekly goals. Yeah. And monthly, yeah. But that's cool. Just uh, that, I find that very interesting um, because I, when I moved into, you know, when I went from kind of sales management to project, product management, uh, I learned all about sprints, becoming agile and everything. And I've never thought about a sprint in sales. So is this like everybody is? Uh, I mean, so my my sort of uh, experience was in the early to mid 2000s was having buddy everybody kind of in a room, sort of like a bullpen, and having everyone's numbers on the board and having all that kind of you know, like that daily sort of rah-rah stuff. Um, so how does that, um, how do you, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that's implemented through like a Trello board. Um, and uh, obviously we, we can't get too visual here, but um, can you talk a little bit more about that? I'm, I'm, you know, I'd love to sort of understand practically or pragmatically how does that get implemented? Yeah, so there's two things. Uh, so we just implemented it at Zaf and it was, I think day two that, that we kicked it off. And so we're a team of, of four uh, BDRs, including myself. Uh, I consider myself a BDR. And uh, we list out a lot of the action items that we have to get done in those two weeks that are outside of customer facing. So if it's training or anything like that. And then there's now the clients. Now the clients are things like, are you reviewing their annual uh, reviews? Are you, um, are you sending sp- particular information to uh, the client ahead of time? Are you doing customer interviews to, to learn how better to position your product? 
and you're continuously you're mapping out all of the process for a client. You're copying a, we call them cards on Trello. So if you use Trello, and then but you take out all the steps in the sales process that you don't think you'll get done in that two week process. As for me, as a, as a leader of the team, I can now evaluate if there's too much on someone's plate, and I'll call them out if they can't get it done. And if there's not enough on their plate, I'll also call them out. Okay, and, and so, but and everybody can see that. Obviously, it's like public within the team. Across the team, sometimes the the owner of the card. Uh, these are individual little goals with task lists inside, and uh, so you could comment. Uh, your boss, so my boss actually has visibility into this. They could comment as to, hey, maybe prioritize this individual task over the other because maybe we're looking at investment or something like that. So, um, yeah, if. I wish I could show my Trello board. It's uh, it's pretty cool. I use it for individual life as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that is hidden from everyone. Um, but yeah, so business development is unheard of. I used to do it in sales, and it's a little bit, it makes sense. But business development, you think, well, all you're doing is calling people and getting people on the phone. But there's a lot. If you actually map it out as to all the little minute tasks that you have to get done uh, and all the follow-ups and orchestration that you have to do internally, um, there's quite a bit. So yeah, would you be willing to share that with everybody? Can I put you on the spot? Can, I, can, can you like afterwards? Can you send out a sure a, a screenshot or something? Yeah, we could do that. Okay, that'd be great. How big is the, How big is the ticket price on what you're selling? Uh, ticket price ranges from two hundred thousand USD to uh, we have one in the hopper for uh, well over twenty million. Actually, closer to 30, 30 million USD. Okay, so um, I'd love to, uh, so moving on to the next question. Um, and uh, if you guys could pick maybe the one or two um, strategies that you've implemented that you've seen be the biggest wins for, for you in your roles, whether it's the current role or something in the past, um, uh, I'd love to you know, hear what those were for, for, every, for everybody. For me, on a scaling and growth, I think hiring practices have been huge because I'm scaling so much and trying to centralize what does that look like. My team is too small, but to hire the best. So how do we you know, really make sure the candidates that are coming in are the best fit culturally, to have the right culture for organization to feed into our growth, and to make sure that we're bringing on the top talent. So I'd say that's been a huge focus for us. And I think the second is utilizing tools and technology to create a really streamlined work list. So we've basically integrated a fair number of tools together to create a seamless work list to help the team prioritize what's next. So um, different from Jordan, we've got a lot of volume. So how do we manage such a high volume of number of customers and tasks to be able to support what's important? How do I bring up and flag what order they need to do things to be able to support what's next. Because if you have so many things to do, it's easy to get overwhelmed. So how do I break that down, highlight and prioritize that in a simple way, and being able to create a work list that organizes it in the right way for the team has been a huge success and help us manage that volume a lot better. I'm just trying to look up the name of a software product we put out. So, so two things, we, we've done two things recently, both on the human capital side. So yeah, just to be clear, I think any good sales leader is going to be, I don't like to use the word, but I think that on this panel you'd say agile. So they, would, they, they will 
try and test a million different things and see what works for them, not just for their company or their product, but for that time in the month and that point in the sales cycle. And good, good sales management in general is always aiding and assisting the salespeople on how to close the deals. That being said, getting good people and making sure that they're the right fit for the team culturally and that they're onboarded the right way has made a huge difference. We've done two things in that regard. The first thing we've done, and I was just trying to find the name, I will find it and I'll tell you, but we, we instituted company-wide personality tests. Um, there's one in particular and I love it and now I'm just completely drawing a blank and I will find it. Um, but uh, when the private equity firm invested in us, they asked me to do it um, and my team to see what they thought of us and um, what they were able to tell about us just from reading our results was like pretty scary. Um, and they were also able to do a bunch of team dynamic stuff, which I thought was really, really helpful. And then, uh, and I'm super skeptical about this stuff, but I'm really drinking the Kool-Aid on this right now. And so we're now thinking, how can we um, push this deeper into the sales process? You know, you hire a salesperson, you spend a lot of money on them, and then you train them, and you onboard them, and then you give them a six to nine month ramp before you can judge them. Then you're talking about a $250,000 investment into one person, not to mention the opportunity cost, which is many times that. If you can decrease the chances of you being wrong by 10 or 15%, that's a multi-hundred thousand dollar per person yield. And, so, and it costs $100 to take the test, and it takes an hour. So I, I consider it almost a no-brainer, and we're really seeing how we can push that out without making people feel uncomfortable and you know, while using it the right way, and there's, there's a bunch of pieces of that. Um, that's brand new to me. The, the other one that we did was, um, so as I said, the two founders of the business, the ocean moved in here. The two founders of the business um, are both still with the business, and Kim is still a salesperson and doing amazing. We have asked her to sell less and train more, and people are able to model their behavior off of her because she's been doing it for 25 years, selling this specific product. And so, whereas the new people that we're hiring are very process-driven, and she wasn't as process-driven, she's unbelievably capable on the specifics. Anyways, um, so the, the other thing that we did, though, was Evelyn, the other founder, Kim and Ev makes Kev. Um, so Ev, she just recently, we, I tasked her with starting an onboarding program company-wide. And so now, which we never did, so now every new person that comes in does a week intensive in class. In class, it's a boardroom. There's five or six people around the table. But in class, what we bring in, product, values, culture, history of the company, um, how to use the phone system, like all that stuff. And then we have created sort of an ongoing uh, every month there's more classes, there's more dinners, there's more buddying, there's, you know, we're, we're adding to it. This just started a few months ago. I'll tell you, the, the impact has been like mind-boggling for what it's done. First of all, when people leave that week, they are so fired up and they feel like so much part of a team as opposed to before, especially because salespeople, at least in our business, tend to be remote, right? And so you hire someone in Timbuktu, they might never meet anyone on the whole team other than on the phone. So to bring them in and give them a week of in-face time and get them to go out for drinks at night and all that has been so much more important than I, was, I, I, that I gave it credit for. And also the, the time to success has shrunk and that, uh, what is it called, unwanted turnover has shrunk. And 
it's just, it's been really, really positive. And so um, we've been constantly testing and adapting our model to figure out how to scale. And things like that on the human capital side have had by far and away the most yield. Um, one of the things that I learned from a couple failures was um, really finding out who your true customer is and what, what I call an ideal customer profile. So really identifying technographics, firmographics, uh, operating models, all of the things that fits within your model or within your ideal customer and never deviating away from that. And what that does... Sorry, so it's, it's like information like for, for banks would be like asset size. Asset size below $25 billion is we're not chasing. If someone literally comes to us at $23 billion, they're, we're, not, we're not going down that road with them. You're saying you want to know better information about your customers? No, uh, uh, characteristics of our customer, they have to meet the characteristics for us to explore that customer. So the idea um, you could also have, depending on the size of your company and where you're at, you can also include an acceptable uh, profile, which means if we sell to banks, well, maybe a auto financing company, which is pretty well a bank, they do auto financing very well, uh, might be fit within that acceptable profile. So the idea is that you hold true to who your customer is and you never deviate. It reduces a lot of wasted time your product being pulled in all different ways, and then you never get to build the product that you originally set out for because someone else asked for something else. So you have to, sure there's, there's kind of deviations uh, that, are, uh, that are good for the company, but in most cases I find has, has crippled companies. Um, the other big one is, is doing like customer interviews. I'm a proponent of being able to actually identify, you know, what do they feel as though your company or my company provides to them. Uh, what's their unique selling propositions? What's their operating model? What's, um, what are they measured on? Really identifying those things initially will help you carry, what they tell you is better than any marketer or any salesperson within your, your organization. And I kind of actually mirror it to uh, someone in your product team. Someone in your product team will actually boil down what you do and the value of your solution because they're the ones that built it. They're the ones closer to it. Um, everyone else kind of muffles the message and you truly don't really understand. And I find you always go down that, that path that's, that's not really a, a strong one. Oh. <clears throat> yeah, those are good points. Like, it, I guess what size, is everyone, like, what size is your company? Like over just starting? Just starting? Like under a million? Over a million? Over five million. Okay, so like, yeah, like I agree. We're at that stage now. I think uh, you were mentioning it, like the the culture and the hiring. Like, that's probably the number one thing for us now is like finding the right fit and and then in uh, throwing like social events and getting everyone involved. So I agree with that a lot. We didn't run into that. We didn't find that important until we hit a certain stage. So it depends on the size. In my opinion, it depends on the size. Like in the very beginning, it depends if you're like under a million bucks. Focus on like the target and the problem that you're solving. That's the main thing. Like once we found the who we're going after, we dialed in the, the problem that we're solving. We saw the shit out of it. That's when we got to like, we shot up to a million bucks like in a few months. 
And then to go from one to five, it was more structuring, well, dialing lead generation, getting that consistent, and then dialing the sales process. And now after five, it's like getting the right hires, making sure the culture's right. And that's going to take us to like 10 um, and, and passing off some of that responsibility. So I definitely agree with your, your points. Like that's, uh, that's, we're finding that uh, to be a problem now. Or, uh, we're uh, putting more emphasis on, on, on bringing more people in. But yeah, in the very beginning, it's like, really solving a problem, making sure it's like a really painful thing. And I know some of our customers, like we dialed in your offer, right? And to, yeah. Right. And as soon as we tightened it up, you started seeing, um, growth, right? Yeah. I was, I was actually going to mention that, um, that was, uh, for us, a, a really incredible, uh, transformation once so we were just kind of solving too many problems for too many people. So it made the sale, Way more complex than it had to be, and uh, and it actually made every metric not as good as it could be. As soon as we decided, we basically, I was just at a point where I was like, okay, well, either I need to uh, stop selling and go raise a bunch of money, or I have to figure out something. So I kind of came up with a scrappy, um, you know, idea, which was kind of, you know, accumulating after a year of. Uh, getting a lot of requests for, for one thing in particular, which ended up, when we really looked at it, it ended up being the biggest problem for our market. It was one, one of the things that our platform did and was doing for customers. So we said, okay, well, let's really dig into that. And we kind of you know, really scoped down what our solution was doing. So this is really like a, a repositioning of who we are and, and who, we're, who we're for in the organization. And that, so that essentially, and uh, and I would say I really credit Nick because uh, he really gave me that that sort of kick in the pants. Solve one problem for one person, and uh, and once we did that, all of a sudden we could close deals instead of an average of three calls. We could do it in one call, and we could because we really narrowed down the scope of what we were offering. We could go a little bit deeper in value and more than double our our prices. So like every sales metric just kind of shot through the roof and it was easier to onboard them. Like our onboarding time went down by 90%. So it was, and I did a whole talk on this about niching and in different ways in our last meetup. So, um, so I would say that that was uh, something. And, and you know, to, uh, to, to Bram's point, in previous organizations, um, I was kind of always into this psych, you know, sort of, uh, I guess, personality assessment thing. Um, I've done like every one that exists on myself. I think they're just so fun to do. I don't know why, but I have a degree in psychology. I guess that's why. But um, and they're so consistent, and, and it's it's really scary how how easy it is for a test to tell you about yourself. Um, but they're right, and uh, and I'm actually kind of interested to hear how you implement that information because obviously you can't. I don't know if you can legally not hire somebody for their personality. I don't know. Maybe you can. Maybe you can. I don't know. Yeah. But all I know is that hiring people is really scary when it comes down to law. Um, and I'm like, can never just. I can never just ask people what I want to know. I always have to like dance around it. But um, but uh, I would love to hear about how that's implemented more in a um, in in, a, in the in the sales uh, environment. So yeah. we, so we have not rolled it out to sales yet. So, so we use it on senior management, and then literally very recently we've decided to push this down to, um, so we already put it on everyone, a director and above, and I recommend that we move it down one or two more levels, and that's what we're, we're testing with now. So first of all, the, I looked it up. It's uh, the caliper test is the one okay. in particular that we use. And I, I really, caliper, yeah, it's called caliper. Um, and the private equity firm, Sarant, they use it on every one of their portfolio companies as like standard operating procedure. Um, do, you know what, do you know what they look for? Like, <laughs> did um, they share that information with you? 
So yes, yeah. yeah. So they do. One of the things that they have, and I don't know if this is done by Caliber or if it's done by the users, but they develop profiles for. Let's say I'm a CEO, so they want a very self-directed person, someone who's not going to be overly concerned with whether um, everyone around the table has a say in everything, but someone who's going to be able to um, develop a strategy and stick to it and explain that clearly to the organization. The, the things that make a good CEO do not necessarily necessitate a wonderful head of HR or a wonderful you know, head of product or a wonderful head of development. It's just different. And so I don't have the keys, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, that's something we're looking into now is do we develop our own? Are there standard? Can we go and take training from the organization, which I think we can? But there are very clearly certain characteristics that would make a good hunter. Right? And if we're, hunting a true, if we're hiring a true hunter role, then you want people who, for example, are okay with people saying no to them and won't get crushed. And you want people who are okay with being self-directed because a lot of times they're working from home and no one watches them for a whole day and so they're gonna have to be the kind of people that wake up at eight and just go to work. They don't need someone standing over their shoulder. There's lots of other people that just don't have that in them. They, they can't motivate unless they're on a team and they're sitting in a group of people. I would say for every person here, it's very important to know that about yourself. Are you a hunter? Are you a gatherer? You know, like a, a farmer, sorry, not a gatherer, a farmer. How do you think about yourself in the, in the role and, and define the right role? And I'm always amazed, actually, at how many people I see in their very far on in their career prospects that don't have a huge amount of self-knowledge about who they are, especially on the sales side. So um, I've found sometimes, I don't want to generalize too much, but sometimes salespeople think about it as a special skill and a magic um, like, um, oh, I can sell anything to anyone type stuff. I tend to think about things personally, and I'm maybe more cynical, but I tend to think about it as a lot of hard work. That most people, if you work really hard and are a smart person, you can be a great salesperson. Now, you have to have certain skills, but that's why you hire amazing leadership to train those skills. And that's why you have great technology, is to, to make sure that you don't miss your steps. And, but, but also, teams can supplement. So if you're not wonderful at demos, you can have teams that have demos done by someone other than you. So, um, but, but you cannot replace intelligence, and you cannot replace hard work. And those two things I have found for every role, but, but very much for sales. And the people who think, oh, like, I'm not, I'm not such a hard worker, but I really got this. Like, people really like me like that. That scares me a lot. Um, and, and, um, <laughs> I, well, but I'll tell you something. It's easy. People do like those people. And it's easy to fall for that. Mm -hmm. Right? You sit in an interview, and they get you talking, and they sell you. And like, by the time you're done, you're like, oh, I love this guy. And then someone will say, oh, great. Like, you know, what were his metrics? And I'll be like, oh, I didn't even ask. It didn't even occur to me. <laughs> so you got to like, really like, hold yourself resolute and set up. So again, it, the more objective you can be in all processes, all parts of the process, the better. And I think, especially something that's more artistic, like sales. Yeah. So, um, so uh, kind of similar to that. Uh, one thing I've noticed in in building sales teams. So I've probably built up to uh, a ten-person sales team in the past, um, and uh, and I've seen that not well. Somebody might be like a really good salesperson with a big, you know, like a lot of experience and. You know, national lead at LinkedIn or something like that, and it was just a total rock star. You know, came into an organization that I was running and like really did not perform well. And so they, so one thing I've seen is that some people are amazing salespeople at 
in a particular type of environment or a particular kind of product or market, and they're really bad in, in other markets. Like just as an example, this, this guy from LinkedIn came in, and he turned a $5,000 customer into a $100,000 customer, um, which was I was pretty excited about. It was the first six-figure deal we closed, and, and, uh, and he did it remarkably well. It was all front-loaded. We had all the money in within three months. Like I'd never seen anything like that before. Um, I was just excited to have a $5,000 customer, right? So, uh, and the truth is, um, and, but, but he actually was a horrible fit for our organization because we shouldn't be selling six-figure six, six deals. We're not, we weren't set up for it. We were set up for small businesses. And somebody that's paying 100000 is looking for something very different than somebody paying 5000 right? And, um, but, you know, we were, I was, we were paying for leads to come in that were, you know, what, what I considered fairly warm, and he considered them cold because, and I just couldn't understand why, but I realized that he was like a master of taking a $5,000 deal and converting it to $100,000, and, um, and he didn't want to do anything else. So, like, that's the type of organization he needs to be in. I'm just wondering, um, can you guys, you know, speak to that at all, and what are the type of salespeople... Because I have a feeling you guys are, you might all be looking for different kinds of people. So can you talk about your ideal type of salesperson? And uh, I think there would be something to learn from hearing the differences. Absolutely. I actually have three teams. So in a sales team, I divide up function based on specialty. And within those teams, I actually further divide it into industries so that they specialize in a certain field. So simplifying what they sell to ramp up and help onboard and get them going and ramp them up faster, we can always cross-train later, but let me get them having some success and excitement quickly and help them really learn something. So my first team is new business. How do we help those? And again, our competencies, if you were to do personality or competency-based uh, interviewing, there are certain characteristics I'm looking at that I think make a successful new business individual, and that might be different than another role. So for new business, you're looking for specific things on how they can relate to customers quickly. And again, I agree 100% with you. I look at their organization and follow up and their statistics. Sorry, I've lost it. Statistics, because those are super important because in any business, and we deal with a lot of volume, small, medium business is our niche, and that is volume, and it takes a lot in sales. It's not your first contact that's going to get the sales. It's building trust. It's having follow-up. It's putting the rigor and the work into it to prove you're worthy to earn the business. And so there's a lot of work that's needed, and hard work and diligence and respectful communication is going to trump someone that just knows how to do it real quickly but falls later. So I kind of look at that on new business. I also have another team that just does renewals. So to your take, wants to take an existing customer, focus on relationship building, how do they build relationships, do touch points mid-year, focus on retention to be able to retain and grow that business, and how does my revenue survival rate go up to be able to support what does that experience look and feel like? They might not be comfortable reaching out to a new customer, but an existing customer can definitely build a relationship. And my third is my account management team, which is a lot of customer service. It's being able to support our chat, support what does it happen when a customer calls in? How do I 
de-escalate a frustrated customer to turn them around to be a good customer. And that's a different person. So we specialize our team based on the different functions to be able to support what that looks like and interview differently and really gear what those questions are and what I'm gearing it towards to help make sure that person is right. Doesn't matter what the role is, our guiding light is our culture. And so we've spent a lot of work on culture, defining what is that, what are our top values, and it doesn't matter whether you're a full-stack developer, whether you're on our marketing team or product team or sales team, what those values are resonate across the whole company. And we actually interview and rank how they do against those values to make sure that they're fit corporately for us, to be able to make sure that they can grow. And for me as a sales team, I don't just look at where they are today. I look at, do I see them moving past the role they're applying for? Because if I'm going to hire someone, I want someone that's going to grow with my business. So if you're applying for a new business role, I want to know what the role is after that and how I can further develop someone to get beyond the next role. And I want to be able to see someone that can help build our business and be able to grow with us as we bring on new people. Absolutely. So in my space, we sell commercial insurance, and we do it through a digital platform. So we ease for any small, medium business, how do I really streamline, respect time for my customer and my internal team to quicken that process and make it super smooth but add the quality that we need to make sure all those questions or underwriting algorithm is all put into some intelligent software. Our deals, can you can actually buy online with some of them, so they can be five minutes. And some of them can be a couple of weeks, depending on the complexity. But our specialization is small, medium business with a lot of volumes. And deal size? Um, deal size, I'd say my average deal size probably $2,000 approximately. On a lead volume, uh, we hit 500 last week for the first time. So it gives you a perspective of size that the team's handling. Um, my um, sales cycle is somewhere between six and nine months on average, and my deal size is, my average deal size is probably less than 100 grand in that area. Um, but, but very much varies and depends, et cetera. Um, ditto, like almost every single thing you said, it's crazy. We have, we have three selling teams also. We have New Logo <laughs> as our first team, which is a straight up hunter role. Then we have um, what I'm calling our upsell team, which is, um, customers that have one of our products but not the other major product. We have two big products, one of which you have to have first. And so um, upselling the second product to that first customer, which is um, a very different value prop and a very different selling positioning. Um, you're spending, the, the main difference is this. If you're a new logo person, the vast majority of your time is developing trust and finding people who will talk to you. That's a very hard thing to do. So until you are able to give a demo, that's 90% of the value add, I would argue. Once you're able to give that demo on the new logo side, they're already at a point where they're interested, they have a need, you know, they made a decision to buy a product. So you know, people are pretty excited by the time they get past that demo stage on the new logo side. On the upsell side, the, the demo would be like right at the very beginning of the engagement because they have a relationship with the company. So why wouldn't they see a demo of other products that has nothing to do with whether they might buy, they're not putting any money out, and they already have the trusted relationship. So you're not building trust, you're not building rapport. Yeah, a little bit rapport, but not a lot. Um, 
And so it's a, it's a completely different, like literally completely different. And I would say if you put a new logo person on the upsell side, they could scare away a customer. They be, might be a little bit too aggressive sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. And the other way around, especially if you put a farmer on a new logo deal, they'll never, they'll never get the customer. They'll never do the cold calling. And, and so again, it, it's, and again, it's very interesting how many times you're sitting talking to candidates and they'll say, oh yeah, I could do either. And I, I mean, maybe that is true for some people, but my experience tells me it's not. And so again, for everyone out here who's in their career in sales, I, I'm like, I'd be very interested to know how many people have like a really good understanding of whether they're a hunter or a farmer and whether they're pursuing that and whether they only look at opportunities that are similar to where their skill set is and whether they're really looking for the right role that matches their skill set. Or I, I do find most people just tend to look for jobs that pay money because they need to get a job and they're more eager to do that and they'll figure that they can figure things out. And boy, I'll tell you, like, if I hire a new accountant, it takes them half a year to be productive, right? Uh, to get up to speed, to learn the books, to learn the culture, to learn the phone system, just to, to, to be comfortable. It takes a long time. When, we, when I was at business school, they, we did a study that said it takes a year on average for an average employee. But for the easiest transition, I would say, would be, let's say, finance or something like that. If the books are the same, just come in and sort of take it over. For sales, it's at least a year, at least. And so the cost of switching jobs, for the salesperson especially, is so astronomical that there really, I think, should be a lot more work put in, especially sometimes on the candidate's side, I would argue, um, on what the right role is, right? And whether what you really are looking for. And I also say that it makes people, I know this is a little bit off topic, but I think it might be relevant for this particular group, but um, the, the other thing is it makes you a much more compelling candidate. So when you can come in and say, the reason I want to work for you is because I'm a hunter and I know that this is primarily how you sell and I'm okay with the nine month sales cycle and I, I enjoy you know, this and that and I enjoy developing relationships and I tried being a farmer and it didn't work out for me. Like, by the end of that interview, you're like, oh yeah, this is someone like I gotta take a chance on. This is someone I really need to talk to. And uh, the opposite, vice versa too. Sorry, yeah. Um, the third team is our cross-sell team. Um, so our product is structured that um, our customers will start with accounting, then they will turn on online payments, and then we have now maybe 10 or 15 other smaller products, forms, so parents can fill out all their online forms for their, for their students, um, various uh, consulting services and much smaller things. So we have right now one, although we're expanding that team to two or three. As we've been scaling, we've been focusing on the other two teams, which is why I paid less attention to it now. But um, um, uh, and and also for us, so our account management team and customers, we call them customer success management. That actually is not under sales, so that's a separate team for us, and we don't put any selling under that team at all. So we've we have a cross sell team, which is effectively the selling arm of the customer success management team, which is in my client management division. So uh, clients would be onboarding and client management. Um, that would be my client's division, and uh, sales is self-evident, I think, and if you're selling, then you're on the sales side, and if you're not selling, because I want my customer success people to have a deep, deep relationship with my customers, and I don't want any customer saying, oh, I can't trust them because they're just trying to sell me stuff all the time, because that's not the relationship I want them to have with their customer success. We also have a different world um, and Cheryl, because we have very, very little customer turnover, like almost zero. 
um, just because of the nature of our product. And also, you know, I'd like to think we do a lot to prevent that. And so um, we don't have to have a full dedicated team on, on um, m most SaaS businesses do, by the way, just to let you know, like literally 99% of them do. We just are very lucky that that's something we don't have to do. Yeah, no, that's a great question. We sell exclusively to the school district. So we don't even sell to the schools. We call the CFO and the, his or her staff at the school district office. So for example, TDSB is 583 schools. So we'll call one call for that. Um, there are some ed tech businesses that sell to the schools, um, private schools mostly, and Jono does that. So you can talk to him about that. Um, but for me, uh, that would drive me nuts. So we had to we had to call like the big guys. So we 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 try to focus on the big guys as much as possible. But it does drastically like Jono can close a sale in five seconds. That's unheard of for me. It just doesn't happen. We have a huge amount of RFPs and procurement, and it's it's a whole different world in the public school space. Right, and just to speak to like different personalities, like I tried selling to districts, and I absolutely hated it. And and I and I just I'm good at you know small business sales and it's just something that I've been doing and it works for me. It's just a personality thing, and so I obviously just stuck with what I knew I could scale because I've I have you know a history of doing that and um, and you know you know down the road maybe I'll you know we have no plans on in going into uh, districts but I would if if that was you know at one point we were thinking about it. Um, we would just, I would just bring somebody on and, you know, bring somebody else on to do that because, like, it really, like, it's like, it drains the, like, life out of me. So, um, so it's like, because, and it's a personality thing. And, and I don't know, I don't know if I'm a hunter or, or a farmer. I think I'm just a killer. Like, I don't like hunting or farming. I like to close. So I really like it when other people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like it when other people could do the hunting and bring me in to shoot it. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that that want to go online forever. <laughs> uh, I'll be quick on this one. So um, in my in my previous role, I was uh, managing business development, sales, and post sales, which is in some definitions customer success. Every company kind of calls it something different. Um, and what I realized was the business development was quick wins. Uh, if someone said, you know, let's get a meeting with this company we would get that meeting almost right away. And this is like CIOs, CDOs, the, the highest roles within the banks, which is unprecedented. And it was just by pure cold calling, emailing, and just a little bit of relentlessness, but just keeping emails extremely short and, um, and just doing the work, the hard work. Then on the sales side, our sales cycle, to answer your question, is um, anywhere between a year and a half to five years. <laughs> shoot me now. So shoot me now. Um, and, you know, between meetings, it would take two, three months. And it's just because you're dealing predominantly with the banks. And then the post sales was pretty fun. They're already clients, so you don't have to chase them down. They typically want more out of you. And you could develop plans. I developed a, a smart community plan with Bosch, um, uh, the, the dishwasher company, but they do have many other things and put a whole smart communities plan for them to upsell them to a much larger contract, uh, which, which got sold. 
And I thought that was interesting, but it wasn't as... Um, it didn't really get me excited. It was fun, but didn't get me excited. And so what I realized was in this whole process was actually being having the benefit of working all three angles was that I really liked the business development side of things. And uh, that's actually why what prompted me to move from predominantly the, the sales role at Flybits to uh, head of business development at Zaffin. Uh, because that's what that's what I realized what I'm really good at and what I really love is piecing things together, getting in front of people, and building as many relationships as possible. So now I don't have a uh, an America's footprint. I have a global footprint, and uh, I get to. Uh, I'm right now uh, setting up a Arsenal football match on Sunday with all the top CIOs of all the top banks, and I'm their best friend. So that's kind of cool for me. I'm connecting our company to Salesforce and, and many other partners. And everyone kind of looks up at me as the starting point of the company as opposed to where's my next where's my next sale this week? Cool. Uh, ticket size anywhere from 10,000 to 50,000. Sales cycle, one call close to two weeks. So that's where we've been. That's why we've been able to grow so fast. Like I think it's a little bit uncommon for people, but you know, jo, uh, Jono knows. Did um, you been in our ecosystem for a while, right? Mm-hmm. One call closing fifteen thousand dollars. I one call close a forty thousand dollar deal. Um, and when you can do that, you need the marketing to back it up. Like we use what are called video sales letters, and I don't know if you guys saw my marketing or whatever, but we go, like go on his website. <laughs> it is the best video ever. Yeah, there's a lot of con- like, but it's there for a reason, right? Like we understand it takes about seven hours to get a customer. Like they have to be listening to us, thinking about us for seven hours. You can either do that over the sales call. Or you do multiple calls and you're chasing people down and hunting them down and sending them letters and going to football games or whatever. Like, you know, I I would do that if the deals were big enough. But we've we've been able to use technology to get that seven hours in with like video sales letters, webinars, advertising, and then so when someone gets on the phone with us, we can you know they'll they'll open up uh, their checkbook, um, and that allows us our uh, our sales that allows our salespeople to move real fast. Um, so yeah, that's. I forget what the original question was, but that was the. Yeah, I think I think something that um, yeah. I, something that I find very you know, uh, and, and this has been it's been incredibly helpful for us too. Um, I, I I try to come up with you know I try to I talk about this a lot with people, and I said you know it's like, you know back let's say in in the eighties or nineties, early two thousands, like the only time you ever saw an infomercial was if you were on TV late at night, and um, you know. Uh, but today, everybody can make their own info, infomercial, and it's like it's you can do it if you know how to get the traffic to that video. Um, and really, I mean, to your one of Nick's original points, like sales hasn't changed, right? It's just how you. It's just the medium, right? And and so, you know, it's funny. Like when you're looking at an infomercial and you're not interested in what they're selling, it looks like the most god awful thing in the world. Like how could anybody? want that slap chop with that guy who's so ridiculous, you know? But actually, when it speaks to a problem that you have, like, you're just, like, you're like a, a fly, you know, in, in the, in, in, or a deer in the headlights, because it works, and humans work a certain way. Like, we, we are not also kind of to that personality assessment point. Like, we work a certain way, sales works a certain way, um, and that's why every, every single infomercial 
is written almost exactly the same way. It's a template, right? It's the same template that you see on a on a on a you know flyer that you get in your in your because that was the original direct mailer, right? So it's like, how does your company uh, extrapolate the elements of a sales letter or an infomercial, and then of course speak to your particular audience with that has their problems, and uh, and and I think that's really sort of the the art of sales is like figuring out how to interpret your solution into that into that method, and what's the right way to deliver that that message uh, is different for different size sales in different markets. Um, but uh, it's it's uh, it, it, so you know if if you go to uh, to Nick's site, it's a great example of 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 a video uh, that that se that sells. And you know if you watch my webinar, you know I I literally take Nick's template and and I use it, and it uh, it works incredibly well. So um, so I, I'd say uh, um, it's probably at this point good time to uh, to open up to to some. Q and A, and um, uh, so I know there's been some questions already, but uh, but we'll just let you guys uh, have at it. So, go ahead. Take the first question. Uh, so we are a robotics process automation company. What for us, showing people that hey, these bots that people have been talking, all these big companies, we have that built. So we're putting them on LinkedIn. So the same discussion that we were just having. Uh, when we put that out there, a lot of people, like a lot of my peers, they call me and say. Pankaj, why are you guys putting so much information out there? Anyone can build it and take it. I said, feel free, go ahead and do it. What we do, you can do it, or the quality of product. The one thing that I just heard from you, as you know, is uh, uh, the infomercial. So it's an information for us. The thing that we hold back is what is the ROI on that? And what is the solution, like the de much more details of the solution? So do you think that we should be putting that information out to the people too, that this is a thirty or $40,000 solution? You should be buying it from us, and this is the ROI. Why, why, do you? why didn't I? The, pri the price in your marketing? You're saying don't? The, the ROI specifically. Oh, on, okay, yeah. Because I was getting like, I'm not the smartest, so I look to people like you, and people like you said, why are you even putting this first bot on, the, on LinkedIn? Like every week you are coming up with bots. You have that on your website, and then you have on LinkedIn these recordings. Uh, people will find these solutions, and they'll start building. Sorry, but just just to make sure I understand. Yeah. What you said is, uh, we put something on the internet, and everyone told us to take it down. But we said, no, no, you try to build it, go ahead. Yeah. And then, but then you don't include the ROI, but for the same logic. But yeah, the other but, but the thing is, like, when so many people tell you, you get scared. Oh, okay. So Those, I, obviously, the, I'm not the smartest. Yeah. I, I look up to people. Uh, I will only say this, broadly speaking, okay? I'm not, not, I have a lot going, but I would just say this. It's unbelievable how many people think they know anything, and it's really even more unbelievable how few people know anything. You know, um, if anyone knew anything, then they would be doing what you do. And they don't, and they don't know. And people generally give advice, I think a lot of times to make themselves feel better or to talk to themselves, not to talk to you. So in general, I don't know about your specific issue, but don't listen to anybody. Yeah, I agree with that. Like the thing is if they're gonna, like we put a lot of free information up. If, if your solution was that easy to copy, then there's not any value in it anyway, right? So if you can give it away, if you can give part of it away um, and, you're wor and you're worried about getting stolen from, then, yeah, that means, yes. I wouldn't worry about the. Yeah. Solutions are built that, what we build and put on the videos, 
but then we held back and now I'm regretting that after two, three weeks that we put these 10 bots here. I see a lot of people seeing it, but I'm not getting these calls. Trust you guys. Yeah. We've made a mistake there. So like with your mark, yeah, with with the ROI justification, that's more of like a bottom of the funnel conversation. So like first order business, you got to make sure that they're interested in the problem that you're solving. Um, and then when they're ready to pull the trigger and they're looking about they're looking at price and they're looking to justify the investment, that's when you can talk about ROI. Oh, here you go. Thanks. Um, yeah, but as far as like top of the funnel stuff, like you really want to attract the people that are interested in your solution. Um, so yeah, put as much information out as possible. Like we do that. Like I put out a lot, but they still can't piece things together. Like they ha you have to be a customer to, act to get the actual cadence, right? Um, but yeah. Yeah, and I would say that um, w one thing that I, uh, w one of the kind of principles of this form of marketing using content or long form video like webinars or VSLs is um, VSL meaning video sales letter, um, is uh, you're showing them the what. Like what, what is it they should do to solve their problem? But what you're selling is the how. Because, I mean, I literally, in ours, uh, so we, um, we're, we sell a, a hands-free enrollment marketing solution. It's like a complete marketing funnel top to bottom for private schools. And my webinar goes, it breaks down in detail, like a case study of everything that we do for our clients, like with examples. And, um, be, and they sign up because they want to learn what it is. And, it, and if they have somebody in their organization that can take that and go test it and play with it and try to figure it out for themselves, then great. But I happen to know for my market, they don't have that, right? So it's going to be a very, very edge case for them to have that. So, um, so what you're doing, wh what I'm doing is I'm positioning myself like the expert because I have all these case studies from customers that are successful. And I'm giving them what seems to be the secret sauce. But the real secret sauce is... We've all spent thousands of hours doing it and building this solution, and they're never going to be able to copy that ever. No matter, even if they don't have three thousand hours to sit and like they don't have any time, they can barely get the hour to watch this webinar, right? So, so it just like so it, it, that's kind of Nick's point. Like if somebody can easily copy it, then and if it's that easy to copy, then you have to think about if you're actually if you've built something of value. But if it's not then you can show them all the information. And you're, you're totally safe. That's, that's my, been my experience, and it seems to be the, the theory that works. My advice on that, and I think what the number one problem in sales is that people, well, there's two. One is I never know. I go on a website, and I never know what anyone does anymore. It's like, please boil it down for me. Let me know what you actually do. Um, the other is what, what information to include. And don't try to sell the whole company and the primary and secondary advantages and, and everything else that, that comes with your product. Just pick your, uh, pick your poison, if you will, and, and stick to it. Keep it nice and short and concise, and, and the rest will come. And the point is, is that from business development, our goal is to get a meeting. The initial discovery meeting, you're just trying to gather a couple things and get to the next meeting. You're, you, you don't try to oversell. And so one of the things, I'm part of the, the, the kind of transformation team uh, at Zaffin, and really it's just about like really boiling down our message of all the key challenges in the banking world that we fit. Um, and then one of the things that I'm providing advice is, is leveraging the Salesforce met methodology, which is 
Uh, things like uh, the first slide, if you look at any slide in the history of Salesforce, they open up with industry transformation. Like, but what's the table stakes of someone actually caring about your solution? Get the emotion out of them. Um, then talk about the villain. Why haven't they been able to? Uh, why haven't they been able to? Um, deliver on that on the challenge that they have and then go into the promised land and other things but i highly recommend uh, uh googling salesforce uh, salesforce methodology and how they present their solution and they've stuck to their guns for the last 30 years since they since they've uh, been ex- in existence uh so, so the point is is also look at people that have done it and done it extremely well and look like even though salesforce or a company like that has no relevancy to what you do. Just take their learnings that they've stuck to their guns and they've had this very simple process and how they communicate their solution. Yeah, another question? We got um, base salary and then the commission on top. Um, the rates increase once quota is hit. Um, so there's three buckets, broadly speaking, of uh, commission um, until I think it's 70%, 70 to 100%, and then above 100% with no upper limit on top. I, I think upper limit. I guess it depends, but that is antithetical. I hope my salespeople sell infinity amounts of software and make infinity amounts of money behind it. So we're too early in our experiment right now. Um, historically, a lot, because like a high percentage, because we had very few salespeople. But going forward, now that we're expanding our sales team, I don't know if you were here for the beginning, but we, we've just built out a whole sales team from scratch, basically. So TBD. Are you hiring in Toronto? Oh, yeah. What's your base? What's the OTE in Toronto that you guys have found? <sighs> Works. I don't want to say publicly because it's going on YouTube. Okay. Um, so we don't publish that information. Yeah. Can, you give a, can you give a range? How wide should Zero a range be? <laughs> <laughs> it's between 50 and 100, I can tell you that. Okay, yeah. Our base is between 50 and 100. Our OTE should be um, at least 2x the base, I think. Nice. Um, so, yeah, we're somewhere between 50 and 100. Uh, based on... what I know from my previous role, which is we're pretty much selling to the same uh, same roles within the banks. Uh, I did the math actually today. It's 92400 US dollars per year on top of their salary. So it's, uh, and they're very achievable, uh, achievable goals. So it's, I keep telling my guys like we got, we have a really amazing comp plan that we've created. Um, the one thing that I'm, I'm adding on top of the comp plan, and it's really, really small, but going back to my Trello, is when you have stand-ups and all these meetings, no one really cares about the next guy because 
in reality, they're kind of in competition. They're always trying to look good um, in front of everyone. So what I'm implementing is a very small, um, what I call a team goal. It's not for myself, and, and I've made that clear, that if everyone hits their uh, quarterly goals, um, then there's, there's an annual uh, bonus involved. So it's also being creative. You don't have to set a high amount, but now when we get into, um, into our stand-up meetings, the other person uh, will actually give their guidance as to what works, what email formats or what messaging, all these sorts of things. And they'll actually help try to get leads if, if one person's falling behind on, on their quarterly quota. So it's, it's pretty cool to see that uh, you could kind of shift the, the, the psyche on, on, on your team members pretty quickly. Um, on our side, we have a salary and then we have a bonus structure. So we've done that bonus structure. We do also have a team uh, target where we've I, we've got bonus today. We're looking at a commission structure for next year, but it's been bonus structure as we've grown and tried to play with what that looks like. But again, our sales process is much faster than yours to be able to support what that looks like and to be able to scale properly. So a little bit different business model, and ours is a little faster, a little more high volume and repetitive. So taking a look at what that is, it's a bonus structure. We have, um, I'd say the biggest incentive and reward on our team is we've rolled out team leads. And that has had a huge impact to motivate the team. So because we've grown so quickly, we now have taken our top performers and made them team leads, which has become a player coach model. Whereas a player, they need to be top in what they do, and they also coach a small team to be able to lift the individuals in their vertical and where they specialize. It's helped with onboarding and ramping quickly. It's created a big motivation. And then we gave them a little bit of a team budget where they had some budget to do what they wanted with it. And again, this is inspiring them to figure out how do they use that money. And it's been more effective to give it to them and say, now figure out what you're gonna do to motivate your team. So that dollar value, they could use it to take team for lunch. They can do it to go for beer and wings. They can go to play pool. We had two of the teams that had a competition between each other where they put 50% of their budget on the line for whoever could bring in the most <laughs> revenue. And so it has been a lot of fun to see how they could put their creative juices together to figure out how do they use this budget for some fun, and it's had a much bigger impact than probably a commission plan. And I know that seems crazy, but it, it drove some great results, and I think it elevated the performance of the team, but it also elevated the job satisfaction because they felt like they were building something, and it had a huge impact for us in the team morale. And I think it helped fit into what culturally what we're trying to accomplish to have them really take ownership of their spaces. In my space, it's an annual contract. So the customer doesn't leave after two months. It's really rare. Um, and most of the payments up front for the year. So for us, we don't have that challenge. And then again, I have a renewal team that owns the renewal and the survival rate of not only our policies, but survival rate on our revenue and own the upsell, cross-sell upon that renewal. So we have a fairly sticky business where we haven't had the issue of the churn, but it created a good motivation factor on bringing in new business. I'll speak to the cool. comp too. We have a, a pure commission 
structure. Um, and it's been good. Like our guys make a lot. Like uh, top guys making about twenty five grand a U- U.S. a month. Um, but he's like, yeah, it's it's purely commission. Um, we started bringing on like newer folks. We started them off with uh, a little bit of a base. But I was always trained in commission only sales. Like how you, you eat what you kill sort of thing. And um, it makes them really, really good. So they, we lose them fast they, if they're not good. But the ones who, uh, who end up being good, they, they make a lot of money and they, they do well. Yeah, yeah. So I agree that if you do commission only, you tend to get really hungry, self-reliant people. What worries me is it seems to me like if you have had 10 years of success as a salesperson and you're ready for a switch and you have a family and stuff, unless you have a big draw... People need that money. Post for, they need the, the money to yeah, live. Yeah, we give it a short. But then, sorry, but but wouldn't you just say that um, some of the best salespeople in the market wouldn't come to you because it's commission only? And so, by definition, you're getting no. That's like different. So, like, if you don't have a track record, then it's going to be difficult to do commission only. Like the way that you get the best sales reps is if you can show a guy who's made like you show a guy who's making twenty five thousand a month, right? It's like, hey, do what he does. You, you'll attract the best guys because they just want to make more money. So, I yeah. Mean, they say I can go work for Brad and he'll pay me 100 million base plus the commission. Like, I don't need to take that kind of risk in my career now that I've spent 10 years like this. Yeah, some of the, so, you know, that's true. Like, some of the, like, we are, got, like, they're in their 20s, right? Like, we're finding people in their 20s, yeah. Um, we had, uh, you know, someone in their 40s or 50. I don't know, how old was Jay? Probably like 50. 43? Yeah, something like that. It was a lot of pressure, for, but he didn't, even, he didn't hit the numbers that, uh, that these young guys were doing, right? Um, so, yeah, we're, it's, it seems to work. Like, our guys are pumping out good numbers. Like, our one guy's tracking for 200 grand this month for, in sales, um, and then he'll get, like, um, 20 or 15%. Yeah, so it, you keep people, it keeps people going. Yeah, I think... I tend to agree with you. Um, sales is in such high demand, especially here in Toronto. I think it's the number two. I don't know the qu- uh, the quote I read the other day. It's the number two topic in LinkedIn. Um, so I think salespeople are in the uh, how would you say the buyer buyer mode <laughs> buyer's market. <laughs> buyer's market sorry. Uh, I think it's a buyer's market. So I think if you're going to get anyone who's worth their salt, they're going to go for salary, but. The, it would be nice to, to be able I've, to be I've found that the people that want salary, they're not even that good anyway. Like, they'll come, like, I've, I've had that experience, right? They're like, oh, I want this, I want that salary. I'm like, go, go do it. Go, go get a nice salary, whatever. But the ones that really show up, this is what I found. The, our best reps, they're the ones that put in a resume, they bug me on LinkedIn, they bug me on Instagram. I don't respond to them for like a month. They keep bugging me. They might even buy our product. And then they're just like, are you ready to go? Are you ready? Like those, and they're bought into the whole business. Those are the ones that I've found that um, are really successful. Yeah. I have a follow-up question on that. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I've, I've also seen your website, and I want to link it, but Reed McLaren's front for sure. But, like, you've got that whole ecosystem, right? So you're talking about the best seven-hour thing, and it seems like you got the commission-only folks, but you've built a system ready for them to close, right? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Neither can I 
Yeah. So here's what happened because I didn't I didn't have those the re, the reason why we have the Lamborghinis and stuff like that. It's not because like it's it gets a lot of attention, <laughs> right? Um, and I actually pr- I did a, a case on it. Like I like you ru- you run an ad with a freaking green Lambo in there. It's like it's gonna get this this the click through rate's gonna be really high. Also, it fires up the young people to come and work for you, right? So like I don't even have like I don't even drive a green Lamborghini. Like I have black car, right? Like it's not it's not as flashy. I don't really like that stuff. But it it attracts the it attracts the people that we need to attract. Um, as far as like getting started when. Like I, I attracted the people. I, I didn't always have the brand, right? But I was just a dog in the trenches. So I was doing. I didn't. Uh, I I got to fifty thousand a month just by doing outbound prospecting and closing over the phone. So I would just be hitting linked. I was doing door to door on the internet. I was just hitting my messages every morning for like two hours. I was booking like three demos a day, and then I was closing over the phone. And then I would just show that sales. My first sales rep was Joseph. He came on, and I just showed him the numbers. And he just and I was like, dude, if you can do what I'm doing, you know, give it a shot. I didn't even pay him any commission, or I didn't pay him any salary. I was just like, yeah, I'll give you a, a, a percentage. And he saw me do it, and he just he, he I led by example. Yeah. Was that trying to do this with the upper activities to get him on board with that as well? No. I show basically like the, the key to, to attracting really good salespeople is just you just you just lead by example. That's what I found. If you're just a stone cold leader and you're a stone cold killer, like what John was saying, the people are gonna want to work for you. They're just gonna be like, yeah, I want to work for you, this guy. Can everyone who's a salesperson just put their hand in the air for one second? And for anyone here who would um, currently take a job that's commission only, um, can you keep your hand up? <laughs> Right, but okay. So here's another question: Who wants to make twenty five thousand a month? <laughs> right. <laughs> so like, um, this for all of you guys. Like, how much more do you value someone who is young and hungry but less experienced, but you know, very passionate, versus someone who is super experienced but then you know, like they also want some stability and yeah. So, um, young, young is not the right. Um, adjective, I would put on it. Um, but I would say the following. Um, historically, we used to have a model which was find people who I thought could figure it out and do it. Um, and the model sucked. It didn't work. It was impossible to replicate. There was no consistency to it. Um, and People used to say to me, like, Bram, you need to hire in the territory local, and you need to hire people who have ed tech experience, and you need to hire people who have SaaS experience. And I just, no, you're not right. You're not. They were all right. So the, the more I have moved to hiring people who have done exactly... So, so you didn't go with your gut on that one? No. Okay. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, I got it, but <laughs> No. By the way, I would be a pretty terrible manager if you just <laughs> blindly closed your eyes and only trusted your gut on every decision. Um, it has to be a healthy balance. But um, I, I would say um, um, the more we've been able to add objectivity to it, the better. And so people who have done it before, you can ask them questions about it and they can tell you. Where if they haven't, you just have to trust your gut effectively. And so I would argue that it might make them better experience. I don't know, but it certainly makes it easier to determine whether or not they have the track record 
if they've done it before, if that makes sense. I agree with your point. Um, I found that they're not, if you get them too inexperienced, it's too much of an investment, it's too risky. But if they're too experienced, they're difficult to coach. So I like it. There's a little bit of a sweet spot in there. And also, you don't want them to be too entrepreneurial either because um, then they'll go out and start their own business after three months and you put like 75 grand into them. <laughs> like you were speaking about the opportunity cost and the cost of ramp. Like we, yeah, like we spend 20000 a month on advertising per rep, right? So three months, if we invest that advertising budget into them and we lose them after three months. It's really, it's really costly, right? So I think there's a sweet spot. I definitely agree with you on, uh, on a little bit of experience for sure. I think more important is uh, having people on your team that have industry-specific knowledge. Uh, And what I mean by that uh, is is somebody who's been on the other side. So I don't know if you're in warehousing, you're selling uh, robots to warehouses. We sell software robots, AI. Right, okay. So maybe someone who worked at a warehouse, if that's who you, like... Uh, Yep. So I'm teaching him what this product does. So I ask him to go through the, the, the product development before he's ready to sell. Yeah. So, yeah, having that industry-specific knowledge, you're speaking the other person's, uh, the person that you're now selling to, you're speaking their language, you know the problem that you're really, truly solving. Um, that, I find, is more important than age. I think age is, sure, you can... An old person will bring knowledge, maybe be a little lazy, come in at odd hours and or leave early. You might have a young person that's just a go-getter. So I think it's a healthy balance as well. But more of the knowledge is, is, is what I'm looking for. I'll add something here. So uh, part of my job is product development. So the team that I'm hiring, these are students who are either international students or people who are coming on co-op. And we are not paying them part of it. Like there is a part of team like three, four people. And the only thing that they have is because RPA and AI is so hot in the market, the same thing like working for your organization, that they are ready to put those three months with me. In the three months, I'm going to ramp up and include all of them. You guys stay with me for more than a month and a half. You will be getting good pay. I won't give the number, but this is on the top side of what Canada immigration says that I can sponsor their immigration to this country. So that is the top 5% of the pay for these people to give me three months. But these are very hungry people. On this point, I would say this. Um, we have found a lot of great success hiring new immigrants to the country. And in general, hiring what, I don't know how to say this politically, but um, candidates that have had a harder time getting a job in more traditional channels. Um, because I find that a lot of people who are responsible for hiring are not wise people. And they use um, not data to make decisions. And so you're able to find people who might have an accent um, or might not be able to express themselves super well within the first month of them coming to the country, but they have 20 years of relevant experience killing it. And not only that, someone who we just hired recently has a wife and kids at home. They had to make a damn living to bring them over. Like, there was no failure in this person's option. Like, it just wasn't... The the drive was there, and, um, you know, I found... In general, the people we've been able to hire like that have had a huge amount of respect. They've loved to learn. 
They're very appreciative of the opportunity because they've been people have slammed the door in their face quite a bit, and it must be a very disheartening process. And um, by the way, we hire them because they're great, not because we're not for any other reason, right? I'm just. Uh, it, it's been really wonderful, and uh, we've been able to do that across the organization. Less so in sales. True in sales, but less so in sales, but like in technology or product or, you know, like it's just been, it's been a really... I'm getting like 25 to 30 resumes a week, and my wife, she's the founder, and she talks to them, and the one thing we, we ask them is your attitude just towards other people. We don't ask you what your technologies you guys know or anything, but there's something so new we will teach you. But if you don't have the attitude, you're not a go-getter. Mm -hmm. I had people who work Uber on weekends, and they work five days with me, and they deliver a bot that I come work for IBM and Capgemini. Mm -hmm. I won't say what happened with those products there, but the product that took three months to build there, my team built in seven days. Mm -hmm. This guy who drives Uber on the weekend, but he's so hungry, he spends all evening studying and then coming and working for me. I don't tell him yeah. to do anything else. I think the same thing with people who are working, who are hungry, and you say, yeah, you want quality? Come yeah. They're, yeah, they're really hungry. Also, but the whole Uber thing, like, I want them like focusing on their job. So I'll float them, like, give them a draw, so they don't, so they don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but you still same, same, uh, same principle. Like, they're really, really hungry. Um, yeah. We all try our best to create replicable and scalable activities on sales, especially. I have found that no matter how much that is true still the 80-20 rule applies. Um, my question is, on your various scales of your organizations, is that true? How much of your sales is made up by the top 20% sales folk? And I would say ours, we've created a model that's scalable, and we have a stronger team approach to bring everyone up to that level. So I'd say give it more of a 50-50 where we are today, trying to bring it closer to the 80-20, the opposite direction. So I'd say we have um, created a process that's really onboarding and bringing people up to create it for success, which is unique. Because in past roles, I agree with your 80-20 role, but I'd say that we've shifted it. But again, our... I, understand, I just don't understand the 50, 50. Like, So you'd say the 20%, top 20% of your organization is going to be 20% of your sales. Um, is that what you're saying? Not no. No, I'm saying that it's more than that that's contributing the amount of sales. So I'd say that if I was to look across our organization on a sales level, we have more than 20% of our salespeople bringing in their targets. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so what, what I've seen before, uh, again, on, on less, you know, I'd say I, I used to, uh, I, just to give you some context, I used to hire <clears throat> uh, college co-ops. Every four months, I'd hire 10. And within a week, uh, this is a, and it worked for this market, but within a week, I would have them, uh, tr I'd train them and have them selling and, and, uh, for, for the next four months. And if I was lucky, I could keep them for eight months. It was exhausting, so I wouldn't suggest it for anybody. But what I saw was that, I mean, so if you're good with selection and your training program and sales process is good enough, I, I was always, I, I, everybody was profitable, but I saw always, I saw the AG20 rule play out, and it was always like two of them made the majority of the sales. And so I think the key to, uh, you know, and then you want to keep on harvesting that top 20% and then move them up. And, you know, and I see it in sales too, like hiring. Sorry, I see it in hiring. 
I'll bring on five, I'll keep two. You know, they'll get past the first uh, training month. Yeah, we saw saw the same thing. Like, our script, like, I agree. uh, Like, we we have a script and a process that we get everyone closing to the same percentage in a week because the script is, like, how many pages? Like, 15 pages? No, there is, but it's not where you think it is. It's, like, we get everyone closing to a certain amount really fast in the same time frame. Where the 80-20 thing comes in is, like, the people that just keep, keep going. It's right. like, it's they have the, yeah, they're like durable, yeah. yeah. I'm not suggesting anyone steal it, by the way. I'm, I'm yeah. only suggesting yeah. you take your annual sales number and you yeah. look at how much is 20% of that, how much of that number did you 20%? Yeah, there's this cli- we have that. I don't think you can get away from it. No, it's like 80-20%. Yeah. It's like the, or the 80-20 thing. But it's due to just people that just keep going. I was hopeful that wasn't the case, but I think it is. Yeah. I think what I'm trying to say is in our business, I think it's more of 50% of our people bring in 80% of the business. So I think it's we've got a higher percentage of contributors. Don't get me wrong. You still have those that you're ramping up. I have a higher percentage of contributors compared to a traditional sales model. So I bet bet if you went into that that top 50%, that'd be an 80-20. Well, maybe, but it doesn't matter. I mean, if you can get... Get fifty percent of your people to be contributing right. in, a ma- in a meaningful way. I guess I was just wondering if that ever goes away. Like, I, so here's my question: um, You're better. You're better off. What about IBM? Any business around it, or or Apple, or or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. pick, pick them. Yeah. Are there businesses out there that have figured out how to get eighty percent of their people contributing? We have people like everyone's contributing, but like they're the superstars, yeah. right? Like they're that bring in twice as much as everyone else. So then, yeah. isn't our job, isn't the job of head of sales effectively drafting for the top players? Like, so you take a strategy that basically assumes most people are going to not perform, right. and you really are just looking for those people that are really outperformers, and if they're not, shift and move on. Yeah, it's not the way anyone approaches their job, though, right? Everyone approaches their job as like, well, well I'm going to yeah. hire and create this big team, and we're going to everyone's going to hit their number, and <laughs> we're setting quota at a point where everyone will be successful. But in reality. No, I, I we've built that into ours because I've I've been I came from the door to door when I was twenty years old I worked for this door to door sales thing when I was in between semesters and uh, that was we just, I thought that was just normal like eighty percent of people would just turnover right so we've all like always prepped for that every if we bring in five we'll lose three and have two stay yeah but we but we lose them quick. Yes. Like yeah, that's what we try to do. It's because like you're 100 commission. <laughs> because you're 100, and we have this like test. Okay, have you got? Have you guys ever heard of the Peloton bike? Yeah. It's like a uh, it's like a uh, exercise bike, and it's like the watt. Like you can uh, you like output wattage. Um, so we have this like r- like I think this was before you were there, but for the salespeople, if they can hit 200 watts for 20 minutes consistently, they're hired. And if they. <laughs> It was kind of like a. We had people kind of competing. We didn't. We didn't really like enforce it, but we just wanted to see. Um, obviously, we couldn't enforce it, but I did it, and so I challenged everyone else to do it. Um, but yeah, like those those types of fun tests. They they they. Uh, you can learn a lot from your sales team. You got a question? Pretty impressive, and thanks to all the producers for coming. Uh, Cheryl, you talked a little bit about... Thank 
Margie, by the way. And Margie. Yeah, yeah Margie. <laughs> Like the stack, like the stack. Yeah, like what yeah. kind of tools are you guys using? Maybe don't yeah. get specific, but just in general, like what tools are you finding successful to narrow down the, the noise and let it yeah. focus? Absolutely. So from our side, um, we don't use traditional insurance tools. So we consider ourselves a tech software company that happens to sell insurance. So we lead with technology and the efficiency of that technology first, and the product happens to be commercial insurance, which is very different. So don't use all those epic systems, and if anyone comes from insurance, some of those old tools. So for our CRM tool, it's Salesforce, and we've adapted that to be able to really fit the niche of what that looks like. Um, for email automation, to be able to create a cadence with timed proper messages on follow-ups, we use something called MixMax. I've tried a couple of different tools. I find MixMax has a more intuitive interface to it. And hmm? you could use that one. Sales Loft we used in the past. I find MixMax has a more intuitive and customer-friendly face to it. It allows you to white label it, so you can put your own branding and logo on it. It has different this, polls is this for, on it. Uh, email marketing automation or email sales, automation. Uh, sales emails. Like it's, we do it for sales emails as uh -huh. well as renewal messages because in insurance you have to uh, reach out for a renewal certain timing ahead, and it right. allows us if they don't respond with certain questions, it has an automated second message to do follow-ups. As soon as they respond, it stops them from that cadence, and all those messages come back into, we use Zendesk, if anyone's used Zendesk, to be able to support what that ticket system looks like, to be able to organize, and then all of those tools feed into a Salesforce report where that reporting metrics can show the last time we've touched that customer who's responded, whether they're on a series of cadence messages if they've come off, so that we can manage that workflow to be able to support, prioritize who's the next one you're going to manually reach out to and why. Absolutely, and we can actually see if they've opened, if they've clicked, all of that is recorded in Salesforce underneath the contact to be able to take a look at what that is. Um, Zendesk also records all of the phone calls, so for insurance, it's good to have a recording. It's great for training purposes to be able to hear those phone calls, be able to give proper coaching. So it creates a good um, mix-max. One question I have about that is what kind of, uh, uh, like, uh, you must have additional team members that focus on optimizing that and tracking that, or is like obviously your salespeople are busy using it. So is that you, or do you, do you are there who, who helps you build those systems and 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 optimize them and test and maybe split test what emails work better and like what what's that role called, and um, yeah, and how many people work on that? 
great question. So I'd say I set it up myself, but it was a lot of work to do it. And I am probably not the best person to do that. We now have like a, a sales operations or uh, someone that helps with all those metrics. So I now have someone that sets up some of those dashboards and reporting for me now that the team is larger. But I also have the benefit of we have full stack developers on our floor. We build our own software tools because we're a software company. And so I now involve them on some of these integrations to be able to make sure our tools can integrate and feed into our website to be able to really support that experience, including our online chats and have those tickets feed in. We have got some automated shortcuts for answers that we've built in to simplify that whole process and to be able to make it a more consistent experience. I have one that I haven't used yet, um, but we're, we're ramping up our customer list or our prospect list uh, to launch in January. Uh, but actually do a test, a one-day test in November. It's called Connect and Sell. Um, I don't know if it's unique, but they basically do hundreds and hundreds of calls a day. It's, uh, I don't know if it's robots or if it's people from this company that makes the calls, and whenever they get somebody on the line, they actually, it transfers over to your business development team. Um, I think it's pretty cool considering... You probably spend about 90% of your time at least trying to connect with companies. Uh, I built a separate business to f uh, f fit this problem, but or fix this problem. But yeah, I think I think I think that would be a really cool one from uh, from trying to get in front of people. I think I think still connecting on the phone at, at any industry. I do it at the bank level with my team, and it works. Um, I think it would. I presume it would work uh, under any uh, for any product uh, under any uh, industry. I can give you just ba the basic stack because we. This is what we do for our business. Uh, if you need landing pages like ClickFunnels or HubSpot, Active Campaign for email automation that's reliable. It's cheap. Uh, I like Close.io for my CRM. HubSpot's okay. Salesforce I don't really like. It's kind of cumbersome. Um, Jotform for quiz submissions, Calendly for calendars. Um, I use Facebook Analytics for my, track my funnel stuff, Google Analytics for redundancy, and uh, Zapier to tie everything together. And what else do we use, Justin? Just don't do email tracking. You huh? you go that's crazy. Right? Yeah, but that's like your basic stuff. Oh, Zoom for calls. We tried go to like we use go to webinar for media uh, for webinars and stuff like that. But Zoom does all the recording stuff. Uh, Close.io. Close.io. We got 40%. Actually, you have to be a customer, but you want to sign up. 40% off in a row. I, I, I would say, like, for, like, for, I mean, you can always, there's like 20 options for each one of these things, right? So it's like really annoying uh, when you're trying to figure out which one to use. And then, like, we have a totally different stack. And, uh, and then we try to, you know, get analytics happening. And some of them play nicely with the analytics and some don't. It's really frustrating. But one thing that was uh, just a remarkable change in my life was switching from, I, I used to use join.me uh, for, for the calls. And then when we switched to Zoom, it's like literally like their commercial says, it just works. Because like, I sell to predominantly middle age and up women that are teachers that are running businesses. They're not very tech savvy. They don't use these things very often. And it was always like 15 minutes just to get them onto the presentation and uh, and then like I switched to using Zoom just to try it and like they would just show up and they'd be there and I'd be like yeah you want to hear a funny story huh? about Zoom like it's, it was so amazing we, we had a uh, we had a sales guy and it was like his first demo 
and he didn't know how Zoom like automatically started the video. So he's go he's doing he has his script there, right? And he's eating like a sandwich. And the, there's like three people on the conference call, and he's just eating his sandwich and just motoring through the script, and he didn't know the video was on, and the guy's on the other end. Of the, so <laughs> one of the, one of our other guys was watching this guy sell, and he goes, and I'm in the same room. He goes, Nick, you're not gonna believe this guy. Like, look what he's doing, and then, and the guy, uh, the prospects were just like, this guy's the most confident guy I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> he ended up getting a deposit. <laughs> like, <laughs> so you gotta be careful with Zoom because it's like, just make sure that's, make sure you know if it's like on video or not. Yeah, you don't want a sandwich to be part of your sales process because you get pretty stuffed pretty quickly. What's that? If you're always using a sandwich to sell, you could get pretty. Oh fat. yeah. <laughs> I, I would just add like two things here quickly. Um, I, I we've used a lot of the names that I'm hearing up here. I tend to be pretty skeptical and cynical on technology in general and think that a lot of people are like, uh, oh, well, we would be selling, but we just need to turn on three more systems that cost another 100000 bucks. And I don't think it actually affects you know, uh, top performer sale. It does get uh, much better visibility and, and help people out a little bit. When you have a good team and it's motoring, to add some tools adds a lot. I would say we, um, we implemented RingCentral company-wide for video chat um, and all of our conferencing, and I am a convert. I just love it. Um, and now it has just shortened the distance from all of our people who work at home. So our head of sales runs a, um, a weekly call for like half the organization by now. And everyone videos in and everyone can see everyone else. It's just so nice and so easy to use. That, that was a big one. The other one we're just starting to use across the business is Teams by Microsoft now hmm. for, for chatting and communication. And that helps because what we found is a lot of people use their email, even with customers. And you have these like strings, and then someone would leave the organization, and you're like, hey, where was that whole thing? Oh, we, we lost it a long time ago. So you don't want that to happen. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think, I think we'll, we're going to uh, uh, end it here, but uh, obviously we can uh, stay. There's lots of pizza and drinks left over, coffee, all, everything you want. Uh, you know, any of the panelists want to stick around and, uh, and schmooze and answer other questions? Certainly. Uh, but I just want to please give her... Give the panel a round. So yeah, thank you so much, guys. Uh, it's been a you know I've learned a lot, and um, you know I I guess we can all find you guys on on LinkedIn and and, and what have you. And uh, thank you everybody for coming, and and we'll wrap it up. <laughs>